It's Fab here, founder and head teacher at Old Marketing School and your marketing BFF. And today I want to invite you to the place where marketing rebels go to master the craft. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about our marketing rebels, self-paced course library and student community. Imagine this, the ultimate library of courses, tactics and templates for marketers looking to use their superpowers for good. So if you are ready to access our short courses, a supportive community of marketing rebels, your personal cheerleading squad, then you gotta go and check our library out. Yes, think about us as your marketing BFFs sharing incredible weekly tactics tools, resources, and even prompts and trends to make sure that you always have fresh content coming out. Plus, we also have marketing sprints, hot seats, and office hours to support you as well in the journey. If it sounds like a good party, I guess it is. So all you have to do is make sure that you join us and you can do it in just two clicks. You just go to School dot click slash library i repeat am school dot click slash library to find out more about how to join us right now i will be waiting for you on the inside now on with today's episode welcome to alt marketing school we are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers just like yourself We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello team, and welcome back to Old Marketing School. My name is Fab, and I'm your teacher. And today I'm not alone. Indeed, today I am so excited to share a very special bonus interview with the amazing Alex Mary. In this interview together, we're gonna find out how to find your own voice online. We're gonna talk about public speaking, we're gonna talk about confidence, we're gonna talk about showing up and becoming an irresistible presence in any, and I mean any, Zoom room ever. Having spent 20 years of his life actively avoiding public speaking, Alex found himself co-running a charity fundraising organization where public speaking was at the very heart of the growth strategy. You would not believe that this man went from nothing to delivering hundreds of presentations to university across the UK, and within a few years they had recruited over 250 people and raised over 12.5 million in the process. Right now, Alex has been coaching business leaders, entrepreneurs, athletes and academics to create and deliver presentations on some of the biggest stages in the world. Alex is funny, is charming, and he definitely knows what he's talking about. And I cannot be more excited to get you to meet him today in this amazing episode. We're going to learn how to get confidence, how to get people's attention, how to present yourself and hold a room. Yes, even a Zoom room. You might be thinking, I'm a marketer. I am a professional. Do I really need to know how to hold a room? I believe that that confidence in finding your own voice is going to help you in such a variety of ways that is an essential part of your toolkit and something you should actively cherish. I really hope you're going to enjoy today's show. As a reminder, we are going to be 
spreading across a bit more our interviews and really focus on our weekly marketing soundbites as a way to level up and also allow me to have a bit more time to work behind the scene on the next stages of Auto Marketing School. In the meantime, I really hope you're going to enjoy this episode and you're going to learn so much from Alex. May today's class begin. Here we go. Hello, Alex. Hey, Fab. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Good. I feel like uh, I'm overwhelmed in technology and, and wires. I, I was saying to you just before we started recording, I'm, I'm turning my living room into a studio and it's becoming a health hazard and probably a very expensive electricity bill. So, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I love that. And it's kind of funny because I literally I was talking to you right before we, we jumped on about the fact that I'm not in my usual settings. I was going to say studio, but it's my house, just like yours, right? And I feel very much out of my comfort zone. Like, for example, people cannot see if they're listening, obviously. But Alex, I think you're standing up and I'm so jealous because usually I always stand up when I do recording workshop. Yes, he's dancing now. Thank you for rubbing it in. And I'm so jealous because I cannot do that because I'm not at home. So I I just feel so weird because it's it's really funny. Obviously, I would like to talk about, obviously, the elements of confidence speaking. And I think what I realized, and I want to ask your opinion, for me personally, if I'm standing up, it's now become such a natural thing when I'm doing workshops, podcasts, anything. I just feel like I'm much more focused and I'm much more in the zone. And it's weird because you would think about, especially when you are speaking and maybe not even using the video, body language has still such an effect on it. And I wanted to ask you, what are the reasons why you are standing up? Is it because you like it? Is it because it's better? Is it because it just feels right for you when you're like chatting? Yeah, it's a good question. When I uh, when I kicked the business off, I didn't I didn't do it, and uh, I used to sit down when I was running and, and doing all of my coaching calls, whatever it might have been. Uh, I sat down the whole time. Energy levels just disappear. Sitting down is bad for you. I worked with someone a few years ago who um, who ended up doing a TED talk. His TED talk's called "Why Sitting Down Destroys You," and he convinced me that I should sit down less than I do. Uh, his talk ended up getting seen like. It was the, the fourth most popular talk of 2016 or something insane. Unbelievable. <laughs> but his name's Roger Frampton, if you want to go check him out. And uh, he told me that sitting down is really bad for you. But also from a confidence point of view, and, and particularly when we're doing so much communication over video these days, it is so important to stand up. And it feel, I think a lot of the, the, the reservation we get back from people quite often is, yeah, but the person I'm speaking to sat down. I'm like, yeah, but they don't even need to know. Sometimes I'm running three-hour sessions, coaching sessions, and it's only at the very, very end that they realize that I've been standing up the whole time. They've never really thought twice about it. So you, how you position your camera can, can sort that out. But when you're standing up, your lungs aren't crushing, aren't being crushed by your ribs. So you can breathe properly and you can speak properly, but you can also gesture more, which means your enthusiasm can go through the camera and hopefully be transferred to the ears of the people who are listening to what you're saying. So I think it's really important. And it's interesting that you talk about standing up for a lot of the things you do clubhouse has been such a big thing over the last few months and um i've been dabbling with a show with an old colleague of mine and every single i've not sat down once for any of the clubhouse sessions i think it's so important to be able to express yourself properly i love that and again i'm an italian so you don't have to tell me twice about the importance of gestures which is a stereotype and it hurts 
but it happens. And I remember I was joking about like university, half of our degree was probably how well we were moving our hands and the other half of what we were actually saying when they were like asking us questions, because there is a lot of power in that. And um, actually just for a bit of like a memory lane, we are actually met virtually at one of the workshops that I ran. And I always ran them standing up. So I really understand where you're coming from because people will actually see that level of energy and they will say, you've got so much energy. And I would also have it sitting down. But I know that standing up, I can just dance if I feel like it. I can just move my hands without feeling like I was, again, a trip hazard. Yeah. It's just different. Completely. And can I just say, it was I was attending your workshop. And uh, <laughs> despite having known for years and years and years, I should be, <laughs> I should be sending emails to people. <laughs> I haven't been. You're the first person that's managed to convince me to actually do it. I've, since, since we did that workshop, I have set up a newsletter I spend more time on Active Campaign, probably, uh, which is the software that I use, uh, my CRM, than anything else. You've convinced me and you've converted me to market my business properly. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. This is awesome. Yes, and do a little, especially when it comes to emails, because I know it's the hardest thing, and I talk about in the workshop how it's the hardest thing to convince people to actually invest some time on. So I'm really, really glad. And also, I love the fact, by the way, just to go back to Clubhouse as well, I just love the fact that you embraced that platform as well. And kind of almost like I love the fact that in a way we're now shaping into a new a new direction when it comes to connections online. And obviously, you know, that's, that's some of what you do as well, obviously. And I guess this, I would love to hear also maybe if this element, whether it's Clubhouse, maybe, maybe it's just, you know, the C word, so the pandemic, but, you know, has this also shaped what you're coaching people or how you're helping people as well? Obviously, it's not just our content, but I'm wondering whether people come to you now for your coaching and your help also for different things, or you find that that has not really changed the way that you help people with your coaching? I think uh, I, I get more on communicating properly over video. I'm definitely getting more on that. The reality is, is how you communicate on video is exactly the same as how you communicate in person. But I think psychologically, there are some barriers. And also you, you're spinning another plate, which is the, the technology itself, you know, and, and all the things that go along with it, alongside all of the distractions that are probably going on behind you in the environment. So it's, it's learning to play with that a little bit. But it's really, you know, communicating on video is, is about taking the lead and, and being okay to own the conversation, because the likelihood is the person you're speaking to isn't uh, as it doesn't feel that comfortable owning the conversation too. Whereas normally when you meet somebody in person, subconsciously we very quickly work out who, who's the alpha character in this relationship and who isn't, and then that guides it. But on video, it's harder to gauge that because that stuff's normally done when you're walking into the meeting room before you have the conversation. Uh, the, that's where the kind of power dynamics and so forth come to play. Whereas on video, it's not, not so clear. So uh, yeah, a little bit more on video. I think what's interesting voice seems to be coming becoming a massive thing right so clubhouse has been the big thing over the course of the last 12 months but you're now seeing all the other platforms starting to create their own audio only content so i think the ability to be able to communicate well regardless of what you look like for some people i think that takes the pressure off because you're not having to worry about how you stand and whether you're smiling whether you're making eye contact with the screen but how you how you use your voice is really important. I, I worked with a beatboxer a few years ago and he was like, "My, your voice is the most powerful instrument in the world because there are so many different ways that you can use it. And if people can learn to use their voice properly, then it's gonna make for more persuasive and more compelling messages being shared. 
But equally, I think there's so much to learn from having a sense taken away from your audience. I think it can be quite liberating for some people. Uh, when, when I do coaching over video, sometimes I'll get people standing up in front of their camera, muted, and they've got to deliver their talk so we can't hear them. So everything's all very much focused on their body language. Then you might switch it around and Clubhouse is an amazing platform to just test being listened to <laughs> and, and taking the ability for people to see you away. You start to focus far more on how you use your voice to, to get your messages heard. I love that you mentioned that and I think it's, it's kind of like almost segueing really well into just understanding how, again, as you mentioned, because of audio marketing, which is kind of what we call it these days, is a concept that now has been applied to different platforms, not just Clubhouse. I think it's just really appreciating that even if you look at podcasts, which in itself can be considered audio marketing, there's an element of obviously, why should I start a podcast or why should I go on Clubhouse when it's saturated? Mm. Why should I start? And one of the things that I think I learned the hard way for myself, again, being Italian, um, also being just really fast. There's another stereotype that is true. Italians speak really fast. So when I then started being confident speaking in English, I was fast, man. And my first like mm -hmm. speaking gigs, people were like, eh. And then I will tell you what really taught me like the most, which again, probably would equate to quite a few coaching sessions, but it was uh, literally um, almost like a booth camp. I recorded the audiobook for my book because I appreciated the power of thinking people listen to me, people watch me. I have two podcasts. If I'm launching a book, people want to li listen to the audiobook if they can hear my voice, just because that's such an association with the mm. brand. And Alex, that was the most intense two days, no, three days of my life, because we did it all in three days. I learned so much. And sometimes I still forget, but I always rein it in because literally after you speak for 12 hours every single day and you realize the mistakes and obviously I had somebody listening on the other end. Oh my God, that was such a learning curve and a learning experience for me it was crazy. I bet. I bet. I love that. I love that. I, I can see how that's such a, I, I love it. I love the experience you've gone through there and how going through that has taught you something. I was, do you know what? I, there's a course that I think should be run. I don't think I, I quite qualify for it yet because I don't have kids, but how to tell a bedtime story. Do you not think, because you sometimes see like in the movies, you see these amazing parents telling these bedtime stories in a way you just think, just imagine if we, I could tell my kids stories in that way. And I just, I, I swear there's something in that, that we, we could target it. We could do it together, Fab. We can target it at new parents. We could teach them how to read great bedtime stories and then kids go and have an amazing time. <laughs> I, I'm down for that. I absolutely love that. And I think it's almost a, a synchronicity between the, an element of a bit of acting, obviously, because you have to kind of like, you know, convey the emotion and also a bit of that confidence and also kind of like obviously being able to just have fun with it. That's something that, bless him, our producer, Jonathan, said is like, Mm, I can sense you're having fun now. That's what we want. Uh, because obviously I'm reading my own words and I think that was the hardest thing. You're reading your own yeah. words and I wanted to come across as, you know, I'm cheeky, I'm, I'm, I'm funny, humble as well. And I wanted that to come across, right? So I needed to make sure that, that when I was reading it, it would be like people reading and hearing my voice. So that was a really struggle because I felt, oh, has it been too much? And it was like, no, no, you want that to come across. And I think that's what, even when you're telling a story, that's that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it different. My mom, I don't know if you remember your parents, but I remember my mom telling me, reading me actually comic books, we were weird like that. And she would actually make the little voices of the different people for me, just 
to make it kind of come to life and I still remember yeah. that very vividly as well yeah and I think great great if we if we translate that to the stage great storytellers bring you into the moment they don't just tell the story they, they perform it there's an amazing Italian speaker called Ernesto Ciroli he tells a story about going over to to Gambia to help teach the Gambians how to grow food and he tells it at the very very beginning of his of his talk you watch that talk everyone you can you feel like you're there with him and it's his ability to to play the characters voices and to and to have a bit of fun with it and i think that's probably that's the one word that pu public speaking and presentation is not associated with and, and that is fun and the i think the, really the ability between uh, an average public speaker and even just a, a good public speaker not a great public speaker is someone that can just have fun with the content they're talking about regardless of the topic right would you say actually i have a question on this sorry would you say that then that could also be something that even now more than ever as is differentiating and is helping people stand out from the crowd i'm not saying that before it wasn't important don't get me wrong but there wasn't like a webinar every two hours coming from somebody from your network so i'm kind of wondering whether also that has obviously the tools that we have allowed everyone to be in front of a virtual stage almost but i'm kind of wondering aside from that from the fun and obviously that element is there anything else that you think really makes a difference when it comes to being remembered being memorable you know and kind of having that great experience when you are presenting online don't embrace perfection i think it's it's very closely linked i think I think when you've got to deliver something and, and you feel like you're under pressure to get, to get it right, the worst thing you can do is set high expectations for yourself. Um, I, I've worked with a few Olympians over the course of the last few years. And one of the things that they've all had in common when I talk about, I, I ask them about how they manage their, their emotions and so forth. Is one of the things they certainly do is they don't expect a 10 out of 10. You know, they're, they're happy. I know people who've been in Olympic finals happy with a seven out of 10 psychologically in the, in the lead up. Anything beyond that is a really good day at the office. And if you're getting close to the nines and tens, actually to get to a nine or a 10, there are things outside of far outside of your control that are going to be at play in that, in that kind of situation. And the same It's the same with public speaking. We spend most of our time on stage or, or in calls trying to just get our message right. We, what's the next sentence I'm going to say? screw that <laughs> how about what is it that just the message is going to come out provided you you know what it what it is you're talking about the message is going to come out one way or another and if there are there's a little mistake here and there and what, i think people just warm to it it's like um a good example of this i was talking to someone about this earlier did you have you ever signed up to masterclass the um no but i i i love when i see the ads i really really like some of them i really kind of yeah to watch them. those ads are absolutely insane and they they sold me i bought i bought a year subscription for that and you watch the you watch them and um they're not really coaching that's that i think that's my first bit of feedback it's like it could be a documentary as far as i'm concerned these people are masters in their field but that doesn't mean they're able to teach they're not able to take their experiences and translate them for for a wider audience that's my kind of reservation but having these perfectly produced videos and linkedin is a very good example of this linkedin are always giving away a course you go on and watch a linkedin course everything is perfect and you don't warm to it it's nice when there are mis you know mistakes here and there and someone says um or actually i've totally forgotten where i'm going with this and they've kept it in because you feel like you're there with them 
and they're talking to you live and and it creates that element of connection so just take the pressure off that'll allow you to have some fun uh, and, and let go of what it is that you think you should be saying and just see how it comes out I think that's something that to me also works really well when it comes to podcasts as well if you're thinking about going back to the audio only it's it obviously depends on people but as you said it just kind of helps you understanding is going back to that idea it helps you understanding who the person is and you know is the little quirks is the little weird things like when I do a happy dance and then I kind of make a weird noise and people think oh there she goes again it's just the little things that we don't think about that we do and I think again you would imagine that that would be something that maybe you know it's it's harder to do when you're really confident to when you actually you know are really kind of carried away but in a way it's you almost because you know it you kind of try to stop it and I think that's when yeah. things feel a bit forced if you know what I mean yeah funnily enough I I, uh, I did a podcast series a couple of years ago and uh you've just just what you said there just took me back to this memory of after the order after the uh guest had gone and we'd done the interview the interview was out of the way I'd then spend the next five minutes trying to read 20 seconds worth of content perfectly <laughs> their guest bio I've you know I'd spent ages preparing it for some reason I just couldn't read it out properly <laughs> because I wanted to get it perfectly right I wanted it to sound like desert island discs or something and uh you know I didn't need to do that and I think it it probably distanced me from the audience as a presenter from from doing that whereas I should have just been far more chill and I think there's a lot of pressure and I love I mean it's, it's kind of like a recurring theme that we're having right now I'm thinking especially for people listening a lot of them are the professionals the marketers sometimes even the founders of the brands and I think now we're in a space that now more than ever People really want to see the people behind the brands, regardless mm. of what brands it is, whether it's a you know an e-commerce brand or uh, agency or even even just the the team members. That's what we like. We like it because we can actually see a bit of who they are, and as you say, we warm to them, and then we can relate to them and understand who are the people behind what we want to support. And I think obviously it comes with you know uh, pros and cons and pressures along along the way, but I think it just really allows you to almost kind of think about okay how can I also come across as myself to represent my brand or whatever that is yeah. but also to represent who I am and I don't know if it's something that you have seen as well or it's something that has kind of caught your attention because these are the people that I gravitate towards anyway whether it's a clubhouse whether it's a podcast or whatever that might be yeah I think there are there are three stories that I think people should be sharing early on you know we spend we spend a load of time um at the beginning of most presentations people are like hi my name is Alex. Today, I'm going to talk to you about public speaking. And, and then they spend the next five minutes telling you all of their achievements to create that element of credibility for why they should be listening to you. I think the three most important stories, choose one of them, but the three best stories to potentially be telling and telling people early on, whether it's a one-to-one -one conversation, whether it's uh, whatever the medium. Uh, firstly, the failure story. And let's not fall into the trap of telling a failure story and then spinning it around and being like, but I came out on top like this. Just keep it as a failure. We're going to connect with you far more if you just, just I fucked up, <laughs> you know, um, this is where it went wrong. We know that you've learned lessons from that experience or you wouldn't be talking about it. So, and you can share those lessons later on maybe, but just keep it to a failure. I think people really respect that. There's a level of honesty there. Um, then you've got the lesson. Um, what's a what's a lesson that you'd wish you'd known before starting a particular project that your audience might be uh, interested in, which is why they might be listening in the first place. And then you have got the 
the underdog story. And I think this is the most common story that's probably talked about. This is how I battled the odds and this is how I came out on top. Those stories need to be used far less than uh, they are at the moment. People cling on to the underdog story because it makes them feel like the heroes, the hero's journey. But I think those stories are, are, you, are best used sparingly. Use it once in a, once in a blue moon, really, uh, in a particular time where your audience really needs their like personal belief barriers to be shattered because they don't need that every single time. How would you say then you can find the balance between still trying to inject the personality, maybe trying to bring some stories to the table, but as you say, maybe don't sound that, don't literally diving into the cliche as and when. It's a, it's a tough balance to play. <laughs> Um, particularly because it also very much depends on uh, where someone's personality might fall. You know, I think those who are slightly more extrovert are far happier to tell a story about themselves, whereas those who are fall in the more introverted space, they're, they're slightly more conscious about that and, and, and don't necessarily want to ego stroke. So I think it's a hard question to answer because I think it's very dependent on the personality. But if, if uh, perhaps a, a, a good way to frame it might be, if your audience, what's the, what's the thing that your audience wouldn't expect to hear from you? Choose that one, whatever that might be. I love that. And obviously, I know it was a really hard question as well, but I think it also helps a bit of reflection for people to understand that, which is a very important thing. You need to understand also what is your personality and how you want to come across. Again, this, this might be wrong, but that's more my personal opinion. If you're trying to be funny, and you just are not funny in the way that it doesn't come natural to you. It's not how you want to approach people. It's not how, how you want to be seen, but you do it because you think you have to. I th- people will see it. You know, that's mm. where, like, for me, authenticity really lays. So it's just understanding if that's not who you are. It's just like asking me to be professional. Now, I'm not saying that I was doing a workshop and I was dancing for half an hour, even if it would have been awesome. But I still brought to that workshop, I'm thinking about, obviously, the one that you came to, I was bringing my personality. There were the little jokes. There were little funny bits. I was trying to, you know, become kind of personal to the students because that's what I do. And I know that if I tried to do it any other way, it just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. The the second I interviewed a comedian a few weeks ago and uh, there is a huge gap between preparing a joke and delivering it and being funny and preparing a joke and delivering it and not being funny. And that's where almost everyone fits in, unless you're a comedian. And only when only comedians get it right sometimes, that's the reality. We only see the successes or the absolute failures. But, you know, I this particular guy, he runs a, a podcast called Trigonometry. Uh, Francis Foster's his name. He, uh, he was saying that he could do three gigs in a night. And uh, one of those gigs, maybe the first gig of the night, he'd, he'd deliver something and they'd find it absolutely hilarious. Deliver the same joke at the next place deadpan silence nothing there and i think you know we often think about being funny we we link that to you know if we think of where where might we need to be funny normally a wedding speech is something that that might come up that a best man speech maid of honor uh delivering a speech they have to be funny you don't (laughs) you don't i i learned that the hard way i was the best man a few years ago the jokes that i put in there which felt forced but i put them in because i of the pressure of needing to be funny or feeling like I had to be funny. There were the bits that got deadpan silence. It was the stuff that, the stuff that was genuine and real uh, that, that really connected with people. So if you're not naturally that, that joker, don't try and be that person.
Can I ask you a question that also has a bit of a personal interest, but I think it can be relevant for everybody else. Since I'm here, um, since, you know, there will be wedding speeches coming my way very, very soon. So that's kind of about, about the element as well. I am notoriously an unscripted person. I will have some time bullet points just because people are like, please don't go on a monologue. So I try to really restrain myself, but more often than not, I'm very like unscripted. So for somebody maybe that is not as confident or for somebody that kind of feels like they don't know really where to go, is a double question. Would you say there is one better option to follow or how can they figure out what's the best option for them to, you know, have, have a guideline or maybe not, if that makes sense? Because I'm not sure if there's a best option, but if not, how can people figure out, how can they prepare a speech or prepare like a presentation or something, but do it in the way that works best for them? It's, it, it's a mixture of the two. Being too scripted is destined to fail uh, unless you've got six months to learn it. And at that point, when you've been learning it for six months, you know it so well that you're delivering it. It sounds like you're delivering it for the first time. No one's got that amount of time. Unless you're giving a TED talk, there's no point in getting to that to that sort of level. Uh, it's it's kind of, you, you want this balance of, of planned, planned impromptuness, <laughs> planned improvisation. That was the word I was trying to say. <laughs> planned improvisation sounds way better. <laughs> um, so, uh, you you want to have a uh, you want to have an element of being able to keep the flow i think the reality is is that in any speech or any talk there are probably four or five lines that you really want to nail the rest everything to go around those lines you can you can say it how, however it comes out on the day it's just making sure that you know when those lines need to be said and and you can say them that takes all the pressure off because you're only having to learn 5% of what you're you're actually going to say so uh, you know, for, for people who've got weddings coming up, as, as I do this year, I think the most important thing is to make sure there are two things that are important. Firstly, make sure you don't forget anyone you're meant to thank. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> that's that'll be the that'll be the thing I'd, I'd um, say to you, Fab. I'd be like, you need to make sure that you've got a list of names and you've just ju on, on, on the table, wherever it might be. And just make sure that you've ticked everybody off so there's there's no one upset. Everything else will be fine. You don't need to worry about anything else. But then the, the second thing that you need to think about is, is the feeling. What's the feeling that you want your audience to have? And really, it's about just good feelings. Just make people feel good and warm. And feeling good and warm doesn't mean telling jokes that alienate three quarters of the audience. There are going to be three generations uh, of people there. And you've got to, you've got to have content that's going to keep everybody happy. I mean, thank you so much. I was literally like doing it for my own personal interest as well, in a way. But I'm glad that we like we both actually looking at that. Uh, but I think it, it can be useful for so many things. And there's one more question that I have for you, just just on on a slightly different note. So obviously, there is a place for these type of presentations or these type of speeches and conversations, which are more like one sided. But this again, this is just maybe like a nugget of wisdom or something that you particularly like when it comes to the other way that people might be encountering having to present something or, you know, do a talk or deliver something, which could be, again, more in that webinar slash workshop mm. space, especially when it comes to marketers or founders, etc. So it's not always telling a story per se, but it's more of an educational setting. Is there anything for somebody that maybe, again, is a bit more shy or doesn't feel comfortable necessarily doing this type of educational kind of conversation that people can do or that people can look into to just, first of all, feel a bit more at ease, but also engage a bit more with their audience. Because I think that can be the issue sometimes. It's like, well, there's an audience that other you cannot see. 
or is not there, or again, doesn't even have the camera on because it's a webinar. So what would you say is one or, or a couple of things that you think people can do, not just for the audience, but also for themselves? Uh, the first thing I'd, I'd say is uh, your audience has got a long list of things they'd rather be doing than listening to you speak. <laughs> so maybe if, if you start at that level, you care more about your talk or what presentation or whatever that might be than they do. They've got loads of other stuff going on, uh, which is why they're probably only half listening anyway. So that's the first thing. You don't need to worry so much. I, I think particularly when things are remote, the your ability to warm up the room is absolutely critical. Uh, so I'd always start, I always start every single coaching call I do with a really generic kind of question, which requires my audience to put an answer in the chat. So they don't have to give any verbal feedback, but they do have to give some like written feedback. And it might be what, uh, just hit me up in the chat. I'd love to know which room has turned into your permanent office over lockdown. And then I'll just get a stream of different rooms, like bedroom, kitchen, all, all of this stuff. Some people say, I've got my own office in my own house, and then I'll take the mickey out of them. And, and what you can do is when you've got that first initial piece of engagement, it's going to be far easier to get that engagement later on. So asking them a question at the very beginning, even if it's, can you hear me? Can you see me? Just hit me up with a yes in the chat. That would be great. Um, and then you say their name. So you acknowledge them. So it feels they are more inclined to stay and listen because you've said their name at that point. They're like, oh shit, <laughs> he's actually he's actually said my name. I better, I better listen in case he asks me something again. That helps to keep that level of engagement there. And then if you wanted to, to build that up, uh, you might then, you might even ask people to turn on their cameras. You know, I always, I always require people to have their cameras on for, for the meetings that I run. Uh, if they don't want to do that, I'd rather they just weren't there. And and I, I let them know before. So it's not a case of them turning up and then refusing to put their cameras on because they, they're in their pajamas uh, and then embarrassing them. I'm like, in the, in, the, in the messages I'll send beforehand, it'll be like, this is going to be interactive. So come ready. And just them knowing that, knowing that as an audience member, they are not there to just be an audience member. They're, their job is to participate as well it changes the tone and it helps things work in your favor. So set the, set the precedent early on and then you can build things up. Where people often go wrong when it comes to asking questions is they will ask a question to the group and then they will wait for the audience to volunteer themselves, to put themselves in the spotlight. Um, they're just not gonna do that. <laughs> they would rather watch you crash and burn on stage than put themselves in the spotlight. So your job, is to tell the audience exactly what you want. So I might say, Fab, what makes, uh, in fact, I might say to the whole group, if there are a whole load of people on this call, I say, what, what makes uh, a really effective storyteller? And then what I'll do is I will say the name of the person who I want to, to answer that question. So uh, Fab, and then I'll repeat the question because Fab, as soon as I've said Fab's name, she's probably shitting herself because she That's wasn't listening. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So what was going on? So I'll then repeat the question, uh, what makes a really effective storyteller? So she's got time to think of the answer and she can answer the question well. I can then say, fab, love that answer, great job. Uh, anyone else? And then I'll pick somebody else. And, and that way everyone knows what's what. Everyone, there's, there's always certainty there. There's not this kind of just, oh, is, is someone gonna put their hand up? Aren't they gonna put their hand up? And that can kill the atmosphere in a room. So engaging is easier online than it is in person. Uh, there's less social pressure around it, but you've got to just ease your audience into it. 
I love that. A couple of things that I want to reiterate because they're so powerful. One, I love the last point because I noticed that when I do that, and sometimes when I do some workshops, maybe it's also because I'm tired, I'll be honest, especially in the morning if I'm a bit groggy. I do forget that. And I want to say the last bit that you mentioned about actually you ask the question and then you almost pick somebody. Sometimes I'm tired. I'm like, oh, sure, I forgot about that. And so I, let, I leave that hanging. And especially if I don't have, if I haven't warmed up the group enough yet, I'm like, shoot, I should have done that. So <laughs> yeah, again, we've all been there. So that one, literally, guys, listen to it because it's such an easy one to miss because you ask the question and you're like, oh, mm. but also want to say that I noticed that whenever, especially when we do like webinars, when we don't see the people. So I, I usually try to man the chat unless there's somebody else man in the chat, but I always try to have a bit of an eye, um, depending on obviously what I'm doing. And I always, always, always like look at the chat. If somebody says a great comment, I'm like, I love what you mentioned there, John. I think it's so, it's so great. And yeah. it's exactly what I do. And again, people are like, oh, somebody is actually listening. Somebody is actually trying to, you know, put attention to that. And um, personally, as from a speaker perspective, it ties me out like double because I'm literally like, my brain is like a squirrel on speed, but I know it's so valuable for them that especially when you're not delivering something recorded, but you're doing something live, that makes people want it to come back because as you say, maybe they're half listening, but then they enjoy it so much. They will kind of like dip in and out. And when they are engaging, they know that they're getting something back. So I love that too. Yeah, 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 completely. Uh, so do you feel, because after I've done like a three hour workshop, I am dead to the world. I, I, you put all your energy into it. And then I, my batteries then need to recharge up. I'm, I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, my batteries go flat afterwards because it is, it should, and it should be good communication is tiring because you've got to transfer the feelings and the energy across to the people that you're speaking to. A thousand percent. And also like in, in, in my book, in my new book, Come Reclaim Your Time Off, obviously I talk a lot about the work-life balance, but I also talk a lot about some of the reasons why some elements of our work life have now shifted also our energy levels. And it sounds very cliche, but Zoom fatigue is real. And so when I talk about the element of meetings and why we could go on and have maybe like three meetings a day on a, on a personal in-person level, but then when yeah. we have three meetings on Zoom, one after the other, it feels so much different. And when you think about, as you say, not just having a meeting, but having to present, it as you say, triples the amount of energy, your attention, and also the fact that you are also putting your attention on different people at all times. So a thousand percent, I think, is the blessing and the curse of being able to use things online. It definitely drains your energies much faster, much, much faster. Completely. But on, but also on that front, one of the reasons why public speaking is important uh, and why often people will shy away from it. Public, when, you, when you public speak and you're speaking to lots of people in one go, it has such disproportionate value to the amount of time that you're actually investing in it. It makes it a no brainer from a time perspective. You can save so much time by being comfortable speaking to an audience. And there might only be four or five people to start with, but you can build it up. You, you'll, you'll quickly learn that the number of people doesn't really matter. That's a, that's a vanity figure more than anything. That is very true. And especially with those connections as well that you can create, like you can really find that a room full of five people that are really engaged can give you so much more back as well. So I think it's an important thing as well, because I think sometimes we get stuck with the numbers, but it's always a learning experience, I think, from a speaker's perspective as well, which is what I love. Yeah. Alex, thank you so, so much. I think like I grueled you, like I asked you, like, oh, I was <laughs> taking notes about wedding stuff as well. I was like, yes. So thank you. It's been fun. I've loved, uh, loved catching up. 
It was awesome catching up. If people want to find out more about you, though, before we leave them, where should they go? What are the best places for them to hear you at? Uh, if you want to connect with me directly, connect with me directly on LinkedIn. Otherwise, you can um, go to alexmerry.com and um, yeah, you can book a chat, check out my resources and sign up to my newsletter that Fab made me do. Yeah, <laughs> that, that should be a new thing. Fab made me do it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you so, so much again. Have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spread the love on Instagram at Old Marketing School. Until next time.